Hi everyone, I'm Tara Mont, and you're listening to the Trust and Thrive with Tara Mont podcast, where you can find a new episode released every Thrive Thursday. I am a current clinical psychology graduate student, passionate about all things to do with mental health, relationships, healing, self-reflection, and other topics that influence us in our everyday lives. I created this podcast to hopefully inspire others to live their most authentic life and to share insightful and honest conversations with everyday individuals and informed professionals. Although the show is not a replacement for therapy, I hope the conversations had can inspire you to look within, to practice self-compassion, to gain more awareness, and to trust the process of your unique journey. If you resonate with the message of Trust and Thrive, make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. You can also stay connected by following me on Instagram at Trust and Thrive. Thank you for being here. Now let's get right into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Trust and Thrive. I'm your host, Tara Mont, and I'm very excited to share this episode. I really, really resonated with this topic, even though I'm not religious. I just really enjoyed having this conversation and discussing the topic of purity culture. So this is definitely a controversial topic for many. And before we get into it, I want to remind you that this episode is not to shame religion in any way. We actually discuss how it's common for many people to try to continue practicing their religion, even though they may be so against parts of it, for example, purity culture. And so this week's guest is Sarah LaCour. Sarah is a physical therapist in South Carolina. In her free time, Sarah also runs an Instagram account at Deconstructing Purity Culture that is dedicated to dismantling the harmful effects of both purity culture and diet culture and advocating for comprehensive sex education. So like I said, I personally am not religious, but I went to a Catholic high school where we wore uniforms. And in this episode, we talk about that. We discuss the many ways girls are sexualized at a young age, especially when it comes to uniforms and feeling like we are responsible for how boys react at that age. And so, first of all, it's so binary. And second of all, it's very sexist. So, I mean, there's a lot we get into in this episode, and I personally really, really enjoyed it. And so if you want to learn more about Sarah, you can follow her at Deconstructing Purity Culture on Instagram. And once again, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Trust and Thrive. And if you've been enjoying the show, you can leave a rating and review on Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts. And it really, really means a lot. It really helps the show and it helps people discover the show. And you can leave a review about a specific episode like this one, or just what you've been enjoying in general, or any feedback. I appreciate any, any feedback. So thank you in advance. And so I hope you enjoy this episode, are able to take something away, are able to keep an open mind. We discuss many topics that, once again, I said may be controversial, may make you think, may make you uncomfortable, may make you question certain beliefs that you grew up with, whether or not you grew up religious, I think the topics we discuss can relate to anyone because we discuss gender roles, sexism, and so on. And so that being said, let's get right into the conversation with Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm super excited to have you here. How are you doing? 
I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Of course. I'm I'm really excited about this topic. I think it's such an important one that we don't always discuss and can relate to anyone, whether they are religious or not. And so before we get into it, can you tell listeners what you do and what you focus on in your work? Yeah. Um, so I'm actually a physical therapist <laughs> uh, Monday through Friday. And then on my off time, um, like and on the weekends and stuff, I run an Instagram account called uh, Deconstructing Purity Culture. And I mostly just talk about the harm that purity culture causes and advocate for like comprehensive sex education. And I also talk a little bit about diet culture and how it's kind of sprinkled in there. So no, I love your page. And I feel like it takes so much courage to do that, because especially a topic like that, you probably get so many people that are like, on the other extreme of like, how could you talk about this, but you're also helping so many people. So thank you. And so um, can you tell or explain what purity culture is for some Someone who's never heard of it, who maybe isn't religious, how would you define it? Yeah. Um, so I always like to say, like when I speak about purity culture, I'm specifically talking about this um, kind of one subset of like the white American evangelical church. Um, and purity culture is a big thing in just the like society in general, um, but especially in the like white American church, <laughs> um, it was really a big deal. And it kind of started in like the 1980s and um, really was at its height, like in the early 2000s. And it focused really specifically on abstinence only education. Um, and it became like a full blown industry and federal funding was allocated for abstinence only education, um, until like their like late, uh, 2010s ish. Um, but the majority of kind of the teachings of like purity culture, it's kind of a broad term, but it's mainly, um, equating virginity with your worth and, uh, focus on avoiding like all sexual thoughts and actions until heterosexual marriage, um, modesty usually gets thrown in just for fun. And the big thing is it really teaches that like women are responsible for the thoughts and choices of men, um, especially in regards to our bodies. So there's a lot of object lessons that are used and, um, it's just not a great time, but, um, I'm trying to speak out about it a little bit so we don't end up like continuing it. <laughs> no, thank you. And I appreciate you explaining that. There's so much to unpack there. But if you don't mind sharing, is there maybe for you, because I feel like in general, if anyone is taught something at an early age or even in your family dynamic, it's so normal for these beliefs to become so normalized. And you just think, oh, everyone believes this or this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, if you don't mind sharing, was there a specific time in your life where you thought, oh, this is maybe not the healthiest thing, or this is really affecting me negatively in something I maybe don't want to, you know, believe, for example? Um, there's a few. Um, I mean, I was one of those lucky kids that like went through puberty really early. And so I had a growth spurt really early. And from a really young age, there was just a lot of emphasis put on my body and how it looked. And so I went to a really small Christian school school until high school. And so at that school specifically, it was where we had like purity classes that culminated in a purity ceremony where you got your like ring that you were supposed to wear until you got married and this whole thing. But, um, as like a young girl, especially I had so much attention on my body and I was always being told to like cover up and I had to always like pull my shirt up or something like that. And so 
it kind of started really young. And then when, after I got married, um, I remember talking to a friend, um, we were like in a Chipotle <laughs> and we were talking about, um, like weddings or something. And I like offhandedly mentioned, like, isn't it so weird that we were just kind of expected like our wedding nights to like know what to do and to have it magically like flip a switch and this to be great. And also when like, we know nothing. And she was like, oh my gosh, you went through that too. <laughs> and so it was kind of this realization that like, it wasn't just my church. It wasn't just my like area where I grew up. It was like a nationwide thing. Um, and that kind of started me like looking into it to see that like, oh, this was not like helpful or healthy in like any, <laughs> any possible way. Yeah, for sure. And it's awesome that like you slowly found a community and it seems like now even with social media, you can see how many individuals are experiencing this or still feel stuck in that. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, your school, for example, and maybe being told to cover up. I went to a Catholic, private Catholic high school, and I didn't grow up religious. I just went more for, you know, educational reasons my parents sent me there. But I still experienced a lot of that with uniforms, like your skirt has to be a certain length. And I just remember one time, like a school dance, I wanted to wear Converse that were like bedazzled. And they literally told me I couldn't. They were like, you know, the guys can wear sneakers, you have to wear flats or heels. And I remember at the time thinking, why can't I wear Converse first off? And so it's just like it was all these different messages of, you know, first you have to make sure your skirt's a certain length because it's a distraction and you also have to fit your gender roles. And so I guess to first start off with the responsibility it places on women, how do you believe it really makes women feel when it comes to, you know, it is your fault if something happens to you. You're the one who is controlling, like you said, men's thoughts. And first of all, it's already so heterosexual and placing those gender roles of just men and women. They don't even talk about non-binary or gay or lesbian or queer at all. But how often do you see that like with people you talk to? Is that something very common where it maybe creates shame in their bodies and they almost want to hide? I feel like personally that made me want to be smaller because I'm like, okay, I can't start anything or trigger anything. What has your experience been with that? Um, absolutely. Like a hundred percent, all of that. <laughs> um, I know at least for me and for a lot of my friends, the, the constant focus on our bodies, even in like just a way that was being told to like cover up or anything like that. Like it did make us want to be smaller. And a lot of us ended up with like eating disorders or some kind of disordered eating like down the line, just because of that. Um, but at the same time, it puts these weird, like very specific heteronormative, like gender roles on people. And I mean, still to this day, there are a lot of, um, churches and, and kind of like not religions, but like, uh, denominations that are teaching this kind of stuff very specifically that like women are meant to be this way and men are meant to be this way. And there's no, I mean, there's no room for them to say anything about, you know, anyone who is possibly trans or gay or queer or non-binary, like that's not even part of the conversation. Um, so I know that that definitely hurt a lot of my friends. Um, and it took them a long time to come to terms with like their own gender identity and their own sexual identity. And I mean, that's one part of it. And then the other part of it is like, I remember specifically being taught that if anything happened to me, that was like always how it was phrased. It was my fault because I must've been wearing something. I must've been doing something like there clearly was, it was on the, the fault. It was always the fault of the women instead of the men, which is just, I mean, that's why a lot of people say that purity culture is just rape culture because 
they are the same. Um, because a lot of times if there's any history of sexual abuse or sexual assault or anything like that, like the woman is 100% always at fault. Um, and I at least was taught that, um, men are visual creatures. That was always the phrasing that was used. And now like later in life, I can, there's like scientific studies that prove that they're not visual creatures, uh, which is really nice that that kind of backs it up. Um, but we were constantly told that like, as women, we had to protect our, you know, it was always like Christian brothers. Like we had to protect the men in our lives, um, to not distract them or tempt them. And, um, it was always our responsibility. It was never the responsibility of the boys to not sexualize us or, or like the grown men to not sexualize like young girls, but it was always on the girls to make sure that we were, were covering up. And that still is a thing that I know, um, exists, especially in a lot of schools, like with school dress codes and stuff like that. Like that is a really, really big thing, but it's just a constant, like, I mean, purity culture relies on shame and like gender roles to survive, <laughs> to keep yeah, going. <laughs> for sure. And I was going to read one of your posts you made that I feel like was perfect for this. You said purity culture and sexism disguise themselves as school dress codes. And it's just wild because even I'm thinking like, oh, I remember it being weird, but we had normalized it, for example. But like literally going in front of like girls and measuring their skirts to make sure they can go in the school dance, little things like that, as opposed to maybe having classes for boys and everyone to be taught how to be respectful and not, you know, you know, not have that view of women or men or non-binary individuals. And so it's just so fascinating how this all connect and I how that really creates such, you know, a narrative growing up, because even if you leave the school or you grow up and I imagine even if you get married, if you're taught that, you know, you have to save yourself for this one person. I mean, obviously, people want to do that by choice. That's great. But if you're taught this message that you have to save your sexuality for this one person, then it also places a lot of value and pressure to be like maybe the perfect wife or, you know, to not have them leave. And so do you feel like that even connects to the role you have to play as a woman and mother and all these expectations and maybe milestones that you're expected to reach? Is that something you've maybe felt the pressure of like getting older. Okay. Now you need to have a child. Now you need to do this. You need to be the perfect wife and mother. Yeah, definitely. I think I also live in the South. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, I mean, that's yeah. a whole other like level of it. I live in South Carolina. And so, um, and I work with old people, um, and I love my patients so much, but they are constantly asking me like, well, why don't you have kids yet? Like you're in your thirties. You should have had kids by now. And especially like purity culture, really specifically, especially in the church, because there is this emphasis on like abstinence only education. And there's not any, any education on like comprehensive sex ed or consent or anything like that. It's pretty much just, you have to save yourself for marriage. And the emphasis on that is because you, you want to be a good like partner for your spouse. Like you want to be able to present yourself to him and say like, no one else has touched this, which is so gross, <laughs> but it's just like, that's the, that's the mindset is if you, if anything happens or if you like slip up or if you have any kind of like sexual experience before your spouse, it's this shameful thing that you're expected to almost like apologize to them for and say like, I'm so sorry. I didn't save myself for you which is like not realistic at all, but it also results in a lot of really young marriages. Like you see a lot of, um, 
like really young, uh, like Christian kids get married. I mean, I was super young when we got married, but I was also in grad school and we were long distance and it was a whole thing, but we like, you see a lot of really, really young Christian kids get married right out of college because they want to have sex because they've been told their whole lives that they can't have sex until they get married. So they're like, okay, we'll just get married without actually, you know, thinking through like, what is this going to entail? And also if you've never had any sexual experiences ever, you're probably going to be dealing with some pelvic floor issues and you're probably going to be dealing with some, you know, body shame and some awkwardness and there's no education to begin with. So it's, it's just a, it's a weird time. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I imagine too, that like it, you're kind of expected maybe to go from like super innocent as virgin to all of a sudden you have to be like a pro, like a porn star with like, you know, and it's like, that's just so unrealistic. And I feel like in general, from what I've seen, like even the messages I've received in school and stuff, it's like, it's a sin to do this. And so even if you do do something before, it also creates that different kind of shame. And so how do you think that can even connect, for example, to someone's mental health? Imagine having that anxiety of thinking, is this going to be my life? Am I shunned? Am I shut out from going to heaven, for example? Like all these messages that maybe receive that even if you don't necessarily believe it, no matter what, when you're brought up with that, it takes time to unlearn that. And so what are your thoughts on just dealing with that shame of maybe doing something you felt like you weren't supposed to do, or even being gay, for example, and thinking, is that a sin? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that there, there's a huge kind of movement, like, um, I mean, it's been going on for forever. It's just a normal part of kind of people's faith, but it's becoming more, um, talked about now and it's just like deconstructing your faith. So, um, and all that really means, at least to me, is just kind of taking pieces of your faith apart and seeing like, what do I actually believe? What was actually really, really harmful. And so I know for a lot of people, especially those of us that grew up in purity culture, that becomes like a really weirdly necessary thing because, um, I mean, there, there was some study and I can't remember it off the top of my head now, but um, a few studies that have come out recently that have talked about the connection between um, growing up in purity culture and having some kind of um, like a higher levels of depression and anxiety or higher levels of um, like pelvic floor dysfunction. That's a really big thing that has come out like recently. And as a physical therapist, like that's something that I see a lot. And most of the time it's women that grew up in purity culture. Like I did that were taught for a very long time that you like nothing, nothing can be down there. You can't have any, any kind of pleasure. Like it's literally just for like, just for marriage. And then you're just expected to like, know how to do this. And so for when you grow up your entire life being told, don't talk about sex, don't even think about sex. (laughs) This is a bad thing. And then all of a sudden you're supposed to flip a switch in one night and be able to know what you're doing, know what your partner likes, know what you like, uh, like figure it out, like anatomically (laughs) and, and then be able to like find ways to communicate about it later. Like when you have no basis for that and you've been told your whole life to not talk about sex, it's really hard when you get married to suddenly be like, Oh, we have to talk about this now. And I don't have any language for it. Like at all. Yeah, that's so true. I didn't even think about that because you know, how would you feel comfortable saying, Oh, like, you know, move here, try this. If it's something you weren't able to talk about, no matter what your body has learned to shut that down, whenever the conversation comes up. And I'm glad you brought that up too, of deconstructing your faith, because, you know, even this conversation in general is not to say don't practice religion or don't do anything. You know, religion can be beautiful. Faith can be beautiful. And I imagine a lot of people are trying to find maybe that balance, but 
what advice would you give to someone who, you know, they still want to have their faith and they want to believe certain things, but there are other parts of their religion, for example, that they don't believe. What advice would you give to them on maybe having that love-hate relationship as they move forward with their healing? I mean, I would tell them that I'm in it with them. <laughs> I I'm definitely in that same space of, of like discovering some of these things and like unlearning a lot, like unlearning a lot of the things that I learned growing up that were just very harmful or like unloving to, towards people. Um, and it's, it is a process. And I think the, the thing that I would tell people is just that like, you're not alone in this. There's like a whole community of people on Instagram and like Facebook and all over the internet of people in different areas of kind of deconstructing their faith and in different parts of the journey. And you can find people kind of in your lane or in, in the specific thing you're kind of trying to deconstruct like anywhere, which has been really nice. Cause that was not something that we had like growing up, but we had the internet kind of, but it was not like how it is now <laughs> where there's like a way to actually connect with people. And so, I mean, I would just tell them that they're not alone in this. Like that's the biggest thing is because when you first are like confronting the things that you grew up believing your whole life, like I was like 30 years old and was like, wait a second, like there's some stuff that maybe like harmed people that, that I like really, really believed with all of my heart. Like, why did I believe that? Like, what, what can I like go back to and figure out like, where did, did this just come from a person or did this come from something that I like actually trust? And it, it takes like a lot of courage <laughs> first of all, but it also like, it is a process and it's not something that you can do overnight. It's something that like does take some time, but you can find all sorts of like resources and community and everything like on the internet of people going through the exact same thing that, that can kind of like guide you through it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I appreciate you mentioning that. Thank you. And I think when it comes to breaking any type of cycle or generational cycle, for example, it's easy to look at it as so black and white and say, you know, I either loved my family, my parents, or I don't want to be anything like them, or I love my religion, I don't want to, be, or I don't want to practice it at all. And it can be hard to find that. And I think it's such a, it's a lifelong journey, like you mentioned. And so for someone maybe who is trying to raise kids or like pass this down for the next generation, how important do you believe self-compassion is when it comes to, you know, finding your way and healing and being okay with kind of exploring? Because I imagine there may be a lot of shame too from family members or people who you know who may not agree with you. And so what are your thoughts on, I guess, both self-compassion and boundaries in that case? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think self-compassion is kind of the, like, the key (laughs) to all of it. And honestly, just like being able to understand and recognize nuance. There's so much of like what I grew up in and not to say that it was all bad or all good, but there's so much of it that like I can recognize now, like, yes, there were some harmful bits of it. And there were places where I hurt people and other people hurt me, but I can like hold those two things simultaneously and say, Like, yes, I can still have a faith in something that brings me a lot of peace, like personally, but I can also say that like the way that this faith has been used previously by other people or sometimes by me, like in the past, like that has hurt some people and I need to like apologize for that. But I also need to be able to say to myself, like, it's okay. Like we went through this, we're learning and growing. (laughs) We it's, we're not going to be perfect, but there is kind of like this level 
that you have to have of, of just understanding nuance that it exists and that it's there because it's really not something that's ever taught in, um, especially in purity culture and purity culture, there's like good and bad, like black and white. You're either having sex and you're going to hell or <laughs> you're not having sex and going to heaven and living a perfect life. Like there's no, there's never any room for like in between those two things. And so because of that, like a lot of us who grew up in purity culture have a ton of trouble with boundaries because we never learned how to have healthy boundaries or how to communicate our boundaries because we were just kind of taught, especially like in marriage, we were just taught like, well, you're for your husband and that's it. And there's like, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about, um, about even how to like communicate about sex with your spouse. And so, and just with boundaries with your body and everything else, there was never any kind of education on that. And so, I mean, I've gone to a lot of therapy and I'm still in therapy. I highly recommend therapy for everybody. Um, but therapy has taught me a lot about how to kind of set boundaries for myself and how to learn how to like, listen to my body. And I think that's something that I'm still working on and something that I'll be working on for forever. But, um, just being able to like sit with my body and say like, okay, where am I feeling tension? Where am I feeling relaxed? Um, you know, where do like, what does my body actually need right now? Does it need me to like go on a walk or does it need me to like take a nap? <laughs> like sometimes you just have to, and like, do I need to like push through this or can I take a break? Um, and honestly, just being able to, to talk those things out, like with a therapist or with a good friend or somebody has been super, super helpful. Like the more that you kind of bring these things like into the light, the less power they have over us. And so that's kind of why I, I talk about it so much on the internet. <laughs> no, I love that. And I, I appreciate you mentioning more than just understanding your body in a sexual manner, because of course, you know, it's hard for many people to understand their bodies and say, do I need to take a nap? Do I need to eat the certain food and re like relax and sleep? What's good for my body right now? Do I need to go on this walk or do I need to rest? And so I think that's such an important reminder for anyone to really, you know, be more in tune with their needs and practice that. And it's a lifelong journey. And so related to body autonomy, I mean, you kind of discussed that right now, but I was going to say, is that something that you feel like you really struggled with? And, you know, I think therapy is great and I think everyone has their own path, but what, what's one tip you'd give to someone right now to help them explore and maybe rediscover their own body autonomy if they feel like they don't have that? Yeah. Um, I definitely think body autonomy is something that I struggled with. And I know a lot of us that grew up specifically in, in purity culture that was attached to like religion grew up with, um, because not only were we taught that eventually your body kind of belongs to your spouse, but we were also taught that like your body belongs to God and you there's certain, you know, boundaries or something that you have to follow and, and you can't have, you have to kind of tamp down any sexual thoughts or feelings that are completely part of like normal development. <laughs> um, but we were taught to like push those down and not allow ourselves to feel those things. And, um, and in doing so, I mean, that lives in your body with everything else. So it, it kind of carries over into other things that you, you just teach yourself not to listen to your body. And I know at least for me and, and a lot of the people that I've like talked to, we were also taught really to not trust our emotions and because they could be deceiving us or something like that. And so it kind of all ran together that it was like, if I'm feeling like, how do I even know if I'm feeling unsafe or if I'm feeling like, comfortable with somebody. Like, I don't even know if I can trust that. And so I think 
honestly, like the, the best thing is just to like find like one really safe friend to like talk to about it and just say like, Hey, how do you do this? Like, how do you know when your body feels safe or how do you know when you're, when you feel comfortable with somebody or when you feel like, um, you need to talk to somebody about something. Um, and then, I mean, if, so I'm, I'm a physical therapist and I'm, I like the science. And so I know like for people with like vulvas and vaginas, the book, um, come as you are by Emily Nagoski. Yeah. I wanted to read that. It's on my list. So I'm glad you mentioned Good. it. Good. It was like transformative and it's a really great resource because it's at least for me, somebody that didn't grow up with any kind of comprehensive sex ed, it's just a really good, um, book about like, this is what's happening to your body. Like, this is your anatomy. This is how your body responds to different experiences and sexual experiences. And, um, so it's a really good resource specifically for people like with vulvas and vaginas, like that's kind of who it was written for. Um, and in general, like just being able to talk and, like even name like your own anatomy <laughs> is really powerful, but it's also really necessary. It's I, I do a lot of education in my job, like patient education, just around, you know, other anatomy, like joint anatomy and stuff like that. And the more that you like understand your own body and how it works and your own anatomy and how everything works, the easier it is to feel kind of connected to your body and know what makes you feel good and what doesn't make you feel good. So I know that was kind of a... Thank you. That was great. And it's it's so true because I even thought about how, you know, like gender stereotypes, like boys and girls, if we're talking about them, like, you know, you see a boy and they're like, oh, he's being silly. He's like playing with his stuff or you know what I mean? But if a girl is just ex- ex- being expo- like explorative at that age, it's like, cover up, don't do that. There's like so much more shame for girls growing up. And then of course, there's not that conversation, non-binary individuals as well. But in general, I know we're leading up to Easter and different holidays all the time. And say, for example, someone is exploring, you know, working on purity culture or even just uh, deconstructing parts of their faith and working on that. What, What advice would you give to someone who knows they're going to see family or loved ones who maybe don't agree with them or they're going to have that conflict and they just, you know, they're struggling to set that boundaries, those boundaries in general? What advice would you give to them on going to these events and holidays and seeing loved ones? That's such a good question. <laughs> um, I think, so the things that I do, at least when I'm going to um, either family events or events with um, people that I know I'm not going to agree with on, on like some basic things, <laughs> Um the, I, I always reach out to like my support system and tell them first and tell them like, Hey, I need some support. I'm going to this thing and I'm, um, I'm not comfortable or like, I'm feeling anxious or I need some support to just be able to like eat a meal in front of them or like feel comfortable expressing an opinion around them. Um, I think it's also really important to kind of know, like the, (laughs) audience isn't the right word, but like the group of people that you're walking into, um, my, my therapist has me do this thing where there's like, she has me like name people in my life that I'm like coming into contact with. And the people that tend to, to either give me opinions or like try to speak into my life in some way. And she's like, I want you to like number them on like a scale of one to 10. Like, so if somebody is like a one, like you don't like with their opinions, 
they don't get to, to give you advice. Like their opinion doesn't actually matter that much. If somebody is a 10, like they're in your life 24 seven and you are their person, then you can listen to them. But if you're like, not going to listen to, <laughs> to their advice, or they're not somebody that, that you're constantly, that you feel safe around, then it's, it's not somebody that needs to like that deserves your vulnerability. And I think that's a big thing too, is that a lot of us, even outside of purity culture, we weren't taught how to like safely express vulnerability. We were just kind of taught either to like not have a ton of emotions around people or to tell everybody everything because it's your family or it's your close friends or whatever it is. Like we were just kind of taught, this is what's expected. And it doesn't have to be, (laughs) I think, um, you can create your own family too, like with friends and with safe people. But if you are going to an event that you, you know, have to be at, (laughs) um, a big thing is just to ask for that kind of support from the people that you trust. And also you like, just remember that you don't have to tell anybody anything that you aren't comfortable with. If Uh, you know that they're not going to respond well, Mm-hmm. You, you may not have to tell them that day, or you may find a different way to tell them something, but especially if you already know that they're not going to respond well, sometimes it's better to just say, you know, I don't really need your input on this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or if you do say something, just be prepared for yourself to say, I know that I'm not going to take this input. Like, I'm just yeah. going to say, this is what I believe. And this is what I think. So that's great advice. And it's so important too, because I think a lot of people, especially with the pandemic, we're seeing maybe relatives or loved ones like once a year <laughs> with everything. And then they're asking like, like, when do you have any kid or like all this stuff, you know, even when it comes to purity culture, it's like, why does anyone care what you do with your body? That's it's so invasive. And so I'm glad you mentioned that. And I think that's great advice on kind of like realizing who do you want to actually listen to and who's important to you and kind of deciding that for yourself. And so overall, this show is about living your most authentic life. I like to ask every guest this because every guest has a different definition or idea of what they believe it is to live authentically. And so for you, what does it mean to live your most authentic life? It's such a good question. Again, um, (laughs) I think for me, it means knowing um, that your worth isn't defined by your body. And knowing that, um, you can show like love and gratitude to your body for all that it does for you on a daily basis. And that it doesn't have to look the same as anybody else's. Um, like the way that I care for my body is not the same way that my husband cares for his body. And it's not the same way that my best friend cares for her body and that that's okay. And we all have different, you know, needs and desires and backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, it just means being able to like set and enforce boundaries that I need, um, and boundaries that are healthy and keep me happy and healthy and safe. Um, and honestly, just being able to recognize that like nuance is a part of life and I can change my mind if I need to, and, you know, hold two conflicting emotions at once and, and be okay. And it, that doesn't have to be the same as anybody else's experience. It can just be mine. So I love that. And I feel like that might be similar to the last question I have, which is, what would you tell to maybe younger Sarah who didn't have the knowledge that she did now and who maybe was taught certain beliefs that maybe you don't agree with now? What would you tell to that Sarah who didn't have that also sex education, whatever it may be? What would you tell her? Gosh, (laughs) so much. (laughs) You're like, where do I start? (laughs) Like, this is a therapy exercise. Thank you. Um, I, I mean, I think I would just tell her that not everybody cares about her body as much as she does. Like nobody else is judging your body the way that you are judging your body. 
and nobody else is judging your sexual experience or lack of sexual experience the way that you are in your body. And it, it sounds like so weird to say it this way, but like everybody's kind of selfish. And so (laughs) you're, you're worrying about your own stuff a lot of the time. And Um, the people that are judging you and judging your body and judging your sexual experience, like you don't need those people in your life anyways, those aren't good friends and you deserve friends that are going to, you know, like lift you up and also allow you to, um, have a safe space to change your mind on things and have a safe space to apologize and, and just have like safe conversations. Like that's, that's, those are the good friends that you need in your life. Not the people that are going to judge you for literally everything. (laughs) Well, I I think that's so well said. And especially, I really appreciate that you mentioned you have the right to change your mind on things, because I think that's something people are, they hold on others a lot like, oh, well, you said that before you believed this, or you said you would commit to this. It's like, people have the right to change their minds and learn and educate themselves and decide what they want over time. And so that's such an important takeaway. And so thank you for being here. This was so great. And I'm sure will relate and resonate with a lot of people. And just to end, do you mind sharing where listeners can give you a follow? And if there's anything um, coming up for you that you'd like to share? Um, I am pretty much just on Instagram at this point. Um, you're killing it. Purity culture. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's just, it's at deconstructing purity culture. Um, I don't really have a ton coming up. Cause like I said, I have a full-time job that I really love. And so this is kind of just a side, like fun thing that I do. Um, I am a guest on like a couple other podcasts that are coming out soon. So that's always a fun thing, but, um, thank you so much for having me. It's so of much course. fun. Of course. Thank you. No, that's incredible. And it's really cool that you're in physical therapy too because I feel like that's such an interesting connection too with the work that you're doing online I'm sure so thanks again Sarah this was awesome and I um, hope to connect soon again absolutely I personally really, really enjoyed my conversation with Sarah. It was also really interesting to hear about her relationship with religion and spirituality and how it's been evolving. And I think it's a good reminder that you don't have to give up all parts of your past, whether it's your religion or your family beliefs or your culture's beliefs. You cannot agree with many parts of whatever you grew up with, but you can also, you know, you can continue to pick and choose and Create that for yourself. Define faith for yourself. Define your spirituality or religion for yourself. And that's just my personal opinion on that. But I really appreciate Sarah for being open and vulnerable. And I mentioned that in the conversation because it's such a controversial topic. I can imagine, you know, she gets a lot of people saying, how can you say this? And a lot of haters not supporting it. But it's also a great reminder that you are never alone. There's a whole community she has on Instagram. And so many other people who have been on the same journey she's been on are on the same journey or on a similar journey, I mean. And it's really it's really beautiful to find that community. So once again, you can follow Sarah at Deconstructing Purity Culture on Instagram. And you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Trust and Thrive. So please feel free to reach out. Let us know what you've enjoyed from the episode. Anything resonated with you, you learned something new. And let me know if this is a topic you're interested in, anything that's similar that you would like me to discuss on the show with a guest. 
please feel free to let me know. I appreciate any feedback. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned so you don't miss any new episodes. And I will catch you all next Thrive Thursday. Thursday.